Good morning. How are you? I see you back there, Joe. Checking the back row just to make sure. Last week, as we are preparing to study the life of David for a while, I noted a series of problems with Saul's actions and reactions, and I think it would be beneficial to take another look at Saul and his crumbling leadership before we shift uh, in the coming weeks to David. First Samuel chapter 13, we left off last week, where Samuel says, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God that gave you, and if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. We don't know the time lapse, but it feels like when you're reading and Saul is, becomes the king of Israel, it feels like almost immediately is his first mistake and the words, your kingdom will not endure, falls over him. It feels like Saul just starts and he already has disobeyed and his leadership is in jeopardy. You were given instructions, but you, for whatever reason, did what you thought of. Instead of waiting for the prophet to return, you made the sacrifices. You claimed you panicked. You, you were worried about the soldiers that were leaving, and the Philistines had you surrounded. And that, uh, you know, it looked like I, 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 the prophet wasn't returning on time. And you're trying, you were trying to keep all the, you know, the peop, your, your soldiers together, but they were, they were running for the hills. They were... They were uh, walking out. They were going AWOL before, uh, uh, you know, their enemies ha- while their enemies had them surrounded. And what did Samuel mean when he said, your kingdom will not endure? Not many of us can see beyond our own lives. Most of us would chuckle at a hundred-year lease. Uh, There's a piece of property I was talking with somebody about this week said, but it only has a 50-year lease. And I was going, only has 50-year lease? You know, you're concerned about it? Yeah. He said, well, sometimes there are 100 years. I'm going like, to me, 50 years is 100 years, right? Brian, to you and me, 50 is 100. I mean, I'm already 50, almost 54 years old, so my life's half over right now. You know, I'm halfway there. Uh, If I live to be 108, I have one goal. Set the record. Uh, uh, There was a, uh, I'm, I'm not really a biker, I've been a runner, but... Uh, there's a guy who just finished a, a bike race at 108 years old, and he set the record for 108-year-old men. How many think he was probably the first 108-year-old men to finish the course, and therefore it is the record? So that's my goal at 108. I hope to crush his record of one mile on a bike in 74 minutes. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But, but maybe he thought, okay, my kingdom's not going to endure, like my kids won't inherit the throne, but, I, you know, a lot of us, there is kind of something secretly in our hearts that goes, well, uh, you know, I hope my kids do okay, but if it's after my lifetime, well, you know, I'll be gone, and you, you got to kind of, maybe, maybe you don't think about it. So maybe th- Saul thought everything seems normal because he said my kingdom won't endure, but then the next chapter, in chapter 14, Saul's leading his people to victories over the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Zebohites, the Amalekites, and the Philistines. And Samuel says to him in chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, and 
I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to a message from God. So he comes to Saul at a moment where, you know, the, the past mistake is kind of in the past. And it looks like now he's regained his momentum and they're winning and they're winning and they're winning. And they're, they're getting the promised land that the Lord had promised them. They're defeating their enemies. And he says, listen, I have a message from God for you. And I don't think it can get any clearer than that. And so far, everything that Samuel says that the Lord has told him in prophetic nature about people that Saul would meet, about things that would happen to Saul, about things that Saul would do, they all, they've all came true at this point. And Samuel is not saying, I have some suggestions for your leadership. He's saying, I have some clear orders from God for you. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. They're moving in their promised land and they treated them hostile uh, from the very beginning. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them. 200,000. When we read about it in just a couple chapters ago and they're facing the Philistines, the Philistines' armies were mass and they were uh, a few thousand and they, they fled and it was 600 men that stayed with Saul. And so it seems like maybe a little time has elapsed here that there has been a season where the people are growing and multiplying and now they have, to, at least at least this point now, they have 200,000 foot soldiers. That's a mass army in of biblical proportions when you read numbers in the Bible. Saul went to the city of Amalek and he set an ambush in the ravine and he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites. I'm going to, he basically says, hey, we don't have any problem with you people, but you're in a village of some people we're going to destroy. So if you want to get out, and so they all leave. They, go, they know God's up to something. God must have prompted their heart. But the Kenites, they all leave, and the Amalekites are in their, their village, village alone. And Saul attacked, verse 7, the Amalekites all the way from uh, Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all the people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything was good. Everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Saul seems to be displaying pride and arrogance, disobedience. There's a pattern in this conversation upcoming in Saul's heart. The Lord has made it exactly clear, precisely what he wanted to be done. He's paying back an enemy and wiping them off the planet. Nothing was to remain. No living thing spared. Total destruction, that phrase is used eight times in the chapter. It's very clear what God is saying. And no one blames a person for thinking, well, there's a lot of valuable stuff there. 
Remember the sin of Achan in Joshua 7 that he took when the Lord told him what to destroy in Jericho and when the walls fell down and, and uh, the, you know, that he, Achan took a, a robe and some silver and he buried it in his tent. Saul continues to live by his rules, what he thinks is best, and he disobeys the Lord, and, and at the time, same time as he's walking in disobedience, he sets up a monument in his own honor. To me, that kind of says there's a real disconnect from what is happening here. He's not walking in shame for his decisions. He's not clued in to what's coming next for his disobedience, and unlike Achan's sin, it caused Israel to lose battle after battle. There was, uh, you know, uh, to where it was a question where Joshua went to the Lord, like, why are we losing uh, the battles? Why are we not able to take the promised land? And, and because someone in your midst has disobeyed the Lord and took some of the things I said to burn, to destroy. See, Saul's kicking butt and taking names, and on the outside it looks pretty good because they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, and they're winning. I want to talk to you about Saul's response because it says an awful lot about the human heart. And sometimes when we sin, our, our true colors are seen because when we're confronted by other people, when we're confronted for our behavior that is by someone else viewed as inappropriate or wrong, and in this case, it's your sin you're confronted with, uh, pride is real obvious. See, pride can hide really well in righteousness, you know? Like, you can't always see it. And when your head's up high, you're worshiping the Lord, you're, you're positive about life, you can hide that. But when you're confronted with sin, uh, whether you respond to that in humility, it will be obvious. It'll be glaring. Will you stand with me? Lord, as we uh, think about our own attitude when we... Uh, fail when we sin. Help us, God, to uh, glean from the mistakes here without picking on someone else. We, we will all uh, be able to see ourselves in the, the conversation and the behavior of Saul in, in many ways. We know what your word says. We know uh, the truth of what you're at, you've asked from us, and, and sometimes we just decide not to. We don't process things very well. Uh, we react instead of stop and pause and allow your Holy Spirit to lead us. So would you help us to uh, not pick on Saul, but just to learn uh, from someone else's uh, mistakes so that we don't have to learn the same real hard lessons that ultimately led to Saul in despair, falling on his own sword. Would you open up our eyes and our heart to what you want to say to us as a church today to spare us the pain and the torment and torture and to help us to walk in peace and worship and life in the Spirit. Jesus. When the prophet arrives, it doesn't seem like the king is aware of the confrontation that's coming his way. The instructions were clear that Saul followed and, and Saul followed them for the most part. But when the Lord says, kill every living creature, 
If one person is spared, it's disobedience. He says, kill every animal, and if the best of the hurt, you know, we all get that. When Samuel shows up, he is greeted by Saul, and it kind of shows, I think, a little bit of the disconnect that's happening. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. We have probably all heard someone who tells himself a lie enough times to where, with great conviction, they sound very believable, that they themselves believe it. And I think it's a, a psychological, uh, 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 common knowledge kind of thing that if you tell yourself enough over and over, you, tell, you, you can start to believe a lie, Right? It's something that someone, someone can speak something over you that's not true that, you know, uh, uh, that, that as a kid and, and you can hear those phrases in your mind until you, you start to believe a lie even about you in, in that concept. In the, in the same way, a person can start to say something that is not true and if they, they start to say it enough times, they, they believe it themselves. And a matter of fact, if you've said a lie about ten times in a row, about nine times in a row... Uh, sometimes people who are telling a lie, they're offended that you would question them because they themselves, over the last nine times, are starting to believe it until it's sealed in their own mind and they don't even like anybody questioning them. So here's a quick list of five things of how not to react, how not to act uh, when you fail, when you sin, when when you disobey. Number one, how not what not to wear, <laughs> convincing yourself and believing a lie. Because good liars can pass a lie detection test. If you keep telling yourself over and over you're innocent, you can start to believe your own lie. George Costanza, a gifted and extraordinary liar, once told Jerry Seinfeld, who was facing a lie detector test, he, his last parting words were, Jerry, just remember... It's not a lie if you believe it. That was his wisdom. When you've gotten away with lie after lie, it must be difficult to have your confessions align and equal all of your lies. Because we mostly, I'll just say for me, I usually confess to what I have to. Okay, Most of us don't go the extra mile and and over-confess. Just admit to what you've done and, and take it like a man, a damage control. But here, the king either believes his own lie or he can't keep up with all the lies he's telling. But no matter what, he's clueless that the Lord has revealed everything that he's done or not done. But Samuel said, Oh, you've carried out the Lord's instructions? Well, what is this bleed? What's the, I'm hearing a little meh. What's all the, what's all the meh, you know? I, I mean, it's as if he's saying, you've done everything the Lord said. What am I, stupid? Do you think I, I can't smell? You think I'm hard of smelling? You think I, 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 I don't notice that everybody's, Eating those little hero sandwiches? There's a lot of lamb meat around. What's uh, uh, the menu's upgraded today? You think I'm I'm hard of hearing? You think I'm stupid? 
I can smell the, all oh, the, the herds a mile away. Saul answered, the soldiers, uh, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, the sacrifice to the Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest of it. I mean, we pretty much destroyed everything, but we kept this really good stuff here to sacrifice to the Lord. How not to react when you sin? Don't convince yourself to the point where you start believing the lie, number one. Number two, don't deflect blame. Oh, those cattle and sheep, I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. Those, my, the soldiers did that. It, it wasn't me. The soldiers, the, they, they uh, probably you know, saw how good they were and, and valuable and how good the meat would be. And I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is a lot of money just to burn it all up. But I, I didn't have anything to do with it. And since the very beginning, the very first couple, right? That's a very human, sinful response. Adam says, ah, Lord, I, I didn't sin. It was the, the woman. She gave me the fruit, and then I, I ate it. And the woman says, ah, I, uh, I, uh, the devil made me do it. From the very beginning, the shifting blame is very normal human response. And maybe it didn't happen exactly how it was supposed to happen, but it wasn't my fault. They brought up the cattle, not me. And Samuel says, shut up. In a nicer way, enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. So, oh, yeah, I want to hear what the Lord has to say. It just kind of tends to me to think like he's still not clued in here. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. You knew you weren't from the right. You, you, you said, my tribe's the least. You know when, I, when I, the Lord prophetically picked you, you felt insecure. You felt unworthy. You never could have got here on your own. But the Lord chose you and anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you wipe them off the face of the earth. I have a score to settle with them. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But, but, he, but, but. But I, I, I did obey the Lord, he said. I, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back their king. The soldiers kept the, the sheep and the cattle and the, and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. That's kind of a big statement he makes here a couple times. Your God. He doesn't say my God, right? He says your God. How not to react when you're caught in sin? Don't convince yourself to the point where you start believing the lie. Don't deflect and blame others. And don't argue and try to justify. Don't argue and try to justify. We did what you asked. We did a lot of what you asked. I, I completely destroyed all the people except the king. You know, for what reason? I, maybe to shame him, maybe to waterboard him, maybe to torture him slowly. 
maybe to keep him as a trophy to remind us of our victory. Some scholars believe that phrase when it said that Saul, that I read earlier, made a monument to himself, that it had to do with this king being brought up before the people like a, like a trophy of their victory. We killed all their animals except the, the best of their sheep. By, by the way, we, we just did that for the Lord, you know. You hear people say that all the time, like, I hope, uh, especially business people, right? I, you know, I'm really believing this thing. We're going to make millions, and we're going to really do something for the kingdom of God, you know. <laughs> and, and usually we're thinking about, we're going to do something for us first, and then, you know, we'll do something for the, for the Lord. And, and, and here's very, you know, uh, somebody trying to justify it, saying, well, we didn't take them for ourselves. We weren't thinking about the food. We weren't thinking about the money. We were just thinking about something we could give to you, Lord, as an offering. <laughs> the Lord's like, yeah, I wanted the offering over there. <sighs> Torch it, kill it, slaughter it over there. That's where I wanted the offering. In other words, Samuel says, BS. Barbara Streisand. You're thinking about yourself. How valuable the animals are. How good they will taste. And Saul is going to keep lying and lying and lying until he is completely backed into a corner and no lie will get him out of the next lie and can't get him out of the next till he's completely caught and cornered. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or of witchcraft. That's pretty heavy. And arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. You're so proud, you're, you're, you're making yourself God. That's, how air, that's what arrogance is. It's like idolatry. It's like, you are God now. You can figure out what, what's best. You can make the decisions on your own. You can make decisions that benefit you. It's like witchcraft and idolatry. Because you've reject, rejected the word of God, he has rejected you as king. And what Saul doesn't know is that God is going to anoint someone else to be king now. Before it seems like, to me, I surmise that the future generations were in jeopardy, like that wouldn't be passed on to Saul's kids. His, but now it seems like it's his dismissal. That before it was your legacy, but now it's your career, it's your reign as favored and anointed by God is ending. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. How not to react when you're caught. Don't convince yourself to the point you're believing a lie. Don't deflect Blame others, don't argue and justify, and don't give uh, obligatory apologies, you know, 
you're completely exposed. No excuses are good enough. There's no one to blame but yourself. And everyone is going to find out this time, Saul. They're all going to know that you disobey the Lord and that your kingdom is going, to be, your, your, is going to be stripped away from you. And you're going to be punished. And it's going to be public. And everyone's going to know. And your options are gone. You, you, you're not in this discussion of what's going to happen anymore. You can't talk your way out of this. You can't come up with a lie that will cover up the other lies. And finally, when completely cornered, the apologies flow out. Like the Christian kid. That when all else fails, you'll you'll admit you're a complete failure and a horrible person and a rotten sinner so that the grace-filled tones of a loving parent will spill out your direction. Like you apologize because you know you have no other options and then you realize, you know what, if I apologize, it's probably going to go better for me. I was nervous about, um, I just had a little nervous because I have an open house at my house this afternoon after church here from one to two. And so my dog is up in my office. I thought, I thought, what if she starts barking? I went, yeah, well. <laughs> Some people go like, it was in stereo sound today. I heard it up there. But uh, they're, Pepsi, not hearing anything. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of his hem of his robe and he tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. He says, you're a liar and God is not. And you're going to pay. Saul replied, I've sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. What not to do when you're caught? Don't start believing a lie. Don't blame others. Don't try to justify it. Don't give obligatory uh, calculated apologies. Because you know that's, you feel like that's your only option. And number five, don't be concerned about what people think more than God. The pride seems easy to spot here. From the outside, it looks like Saul wants the people to think he's okay. He knows he, he's caught, but he's like, please, uh, at least let me keep my pride because, uh, uh, you know, if you walk out on me here and everybody finds out I'm out of favor with God, this is not going to look good. So please, please, at least walk out with me. Help me to keep my pride. I, I care about what the people thinks. He has an image to protect. That's what he says. And come back that I may worship the Lord your God. Boy, what a struggle. What will others think? We live in an era of grace. And 
we know the grace of God is over our lives. And sometimes we treat our sin as if it's Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in my heart stays with me and the grace of God. I care about what God thinks, and He knows my heart. And God knows I'm mostly good. And God knows I'm mostly obedient. And God knows I am honest about my sin when I'm caught. And Jesus is my king, and my king is grace. And sometimes I can find myself hiding in his grace. If I'm honest, I struggle with whining to look okay to everybody else. And how do I know that? Because what others say about me bothers me. What others think about me can really get in my head. What others have said or think about me can even drive some of the decisions I make. What others say can frustrate me and get me in a a loop where all I can hear or do is think about what they're thinking and what they're saying. And even when I know that God doesn't care and God loves me and God is not, it's not good enough. I want the people to think well of me. And that's the dynamic nature and importance of the word of God is that you and I are reading and meditating and listening to the words of God because He reminds us who we are. He reminds us who we can be. He reminds us who we should be and who Jesus was and and what He commands us to do and what He's asking us, how He's asking us to obey and how obeying is better than sacrifice. How not to act. Don't believe the lie. Don't blame others. Don't try to justify it. Don't give shallow, calculated apologies because you got no options. And don't be more concerned about what people think rather than God. And the prophet changes his mind and does the king a favor and they decide to go back together and then worship the Lord. And the prophet, church looked a little bit different that day. Because the prophet said, oh, bring that king up here. And it even the scripture says that the king thought that the mood must have shifted. And maybe he was going to be released or they're going to make a treaty or something. But the prophet brought out the king and said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. 
I don't know if it was a sword, but it seems kind of cool. And the next chapter tells how and why Saul's leadership unravels to new levels. Speaks about two different people. The first king where the spirit of the Lord now departs from him and he's tormented. And there's another one, the son of Jesse, which we find out is David. Speaks well, is fine looking, and the Lord is with him. Will you stand with me? It's a man after God's own heart. When Jesus took our sin and went to the cross, resurrected, spent those times teaching his disciples those 40 days before he ascended up into the heavens, some of his last words were, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's a pretty dynamic and powerful thing because when the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, he was a tormented soul to the end of his life where he fell on his own sword. And someone else, the presence of the Lord rests on. And the cool thing about what Jesus did at the cross is he brought an era where now it's not just one person today that gets the presence of the Lord to rest on them. But now whoever bows their knee to the king and confesses Jesus as Lord and recognizes him for his sacrifice, that he is the Savior, now he, he, doesn't, he doesn't take a sword and make you a knight now and, and empower you that way. Instead, he says, now my presence can rest on you. And when the presence of God rests on your life, because we're going to find out David made some big mistakes too. But when he was caught, he said, don't take your spirit from me, Lord. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew the joy of my salvation. Help me find that spot again, God, where I know that everything's right between us, that I've I've been honest, I've, I've been a liar, I've been a cheat, I've been a thief, I've been filled with pride. And, and the only good thing about my life is you, Lord. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we want your presence to rest on us. Not to make us great like a king, to have all this stuff, but to be able to walk in your presence. That, that your Holy Spirit would rest on us in our unholiness, in our unrighteousness. And God help us as your Holy Spirit reveals sin to us. And it might even be in that secret place in our heart that no one knows about. But you're wanting to set us free. You're wanting to hear our confession. You're wanting honesty from us. Instead of blame and excuses. So, Lord, all across this place, would you hear the whispers of honest prayers to a holy, righteous God of a group of people that at times were really as guilty as Saul. 
And there were times David was just as guilty as Saul, but he had a heart after God, a heart that wanted to honor God, a heart that cared about what God thought. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, continue to rest on us in a dynamic way that we'll be honest with you because we know what you can do. Forgive, heal, help us to, instead of live a life of torment, to live a life of worship and peace among men. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here. Would you smile at somebody, encourage somebody before you go? Maybe you think I don't have a lot to offer the kingdom, but sometimes your friendship and, and sharing your life with other people is a great ministering gift that you can give to those around you. God bless you. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.